This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. So like if I lose my job or something happens, you, you never know what can happen out there. And it's really having multiple streams of income is is definitely, uh, in my opinion, it, it, you know, it helps me go to sleep at night, right? Like knowing that if something happens in one area of my life that I've got something else to fall back on, something else to rely on. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. This is the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is session 101. My name is Andy Hill. I am here live at Podcast Movement here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And today we're talking about real estate investing and how it can help you design your ideal lifestyle. And you you've guys have heard me yammer on a lot about real estate investing on the show. Uh, I have uh, been talking about that. We're trying to pull the trigger in Q4 and save up our pennies to get there. But in order to inspire me and to inspire all of you, I've invited Joel Larsgaard on the show today. And uh, Joel is the host of the Poor Not Poor podcast, where he talks all about financial prosperity as well as really uh, prospering with a beer in your hand, right, buddy? You got to be drinking good beer while you're doing let's it, man. Che- let's cheers it while I, while I keep yammering on here. So and we are today. We're drinking good beers. We, we, are, literally, beers. we are literally drinking uh, the local Yards Philadelphia Pale Ale. I know what a, uh, a connoisseur of beer drinking. I'm not even using the right words. <laughs> whatever, whatever you call it. You like beer. <laughs> but anyway, Joel's got a great podcast, Poor Not Poor. And one of the great subjects that he likes to talk about is real estate investing. And he's been able to design his lifestyle in a way where he's able to uh, allow his wife to stay at home with his two young kids. And that's something I want to explore today on the show today, Joel, because it's near and dear to my heart. So welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you so much for being here. Dude, thanks for having me. Glad to be here, man. Absolutely. 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 So what got you interested in real estate investing in the first place? So I think, you know, my the first house I purchased uh, in 2009 was a home that I lived in. And the first thing I did after buying it was rent out one of the rooms uh, to, to kind of cut down on my costs uh, to a friend. And so, you know, cut my mortgage in more than half. And it kind of got me thinking, oh, wow, I guess, you know, if a roommate, that's a good idea. But what, what if I, how far can I go? with this you know, real estate investing lifestyle. And you know, there's, there's a lot of infomercials about investing in real estate. There's, there's ads on the radio that, that make you think that you can you know, buy real estate with no money down. You're going to get rich. Uh, and usually the only person that get, gets rich is the person hosting the seminar. <laughs> uh, and so, I, but I, I, I realized that if you can go slow but sure, steady, uh, save up your money, make wise investments, that real estate is just an amazing vehicle for I'm going to use the term passive income. Yeah. It's not my favorite word because there's still work involved in being, being a landlord. But uh, that, that going slowly but surely and acquiring you know, good real estate uh, over the years can really kind of give you that past level of passive income that, uh, that, that can help supplement a lifestyle or, or really help you, you know, achieve financial independence. That's great. So around that time, what, when was this when you're saying, hey, I've got this roommate, I like this, I can make money at this. When did you start thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll invest a little bit more. What, what, time, what time frame was this? So it was 2009 when okay. I bought, bought my first home. And then I got married and so I kicked the roommate out and I got a new roommate, much better looking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, we just, you know, we decided after living there for a year, you know, well, you know, we, we, we see kind of where 
things are the trajectory of our neighborhood. What if we buy another home now? Uh, well, you know, we think values are going to rise a lot more. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of one of my tenants uh, of buying real estate is you, you usually can't meet all of them, but uh, a, a neighborhood that you think is going to appreciate well over the years where they're, uh, where people are investing, wanting to move, where the infrastructure is being developed. Uh, so, so find a part of town um, that has upside, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, hasn't already boomed, but there's upside, there's something happening. Uh, and so that, you know, that, that was important to us. And so, um, you know, that's one of the tenants I, I used to, to look at real estate. And we loved our part of town and we wanted to be there a long time. And, and another thing I think is important is uh, and is being close to the, the rental properties you're going to manage. So we moved just around the block, bought another home after living in the first home for two years. We rented that out, um, moved into this other house, just slightly bigger, a two bedroom, two bath then from a two bedroom, one bath. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, we just kind of kept going like that. Every two years we'd buy a house and we'd move just, you know, a couple blocks away. And it's super easy to manage rental properties that are in your neighborhood. If I, you know, when I go mow the lawn or need to meet a tenant for a special request, it's, it's not a huge pain because I can ride my bike over there or something like that, you know, which is, which is so nice. So that's kind of been one, one of the things I focused on is, is having, you know, all my investment properties within a, a, a pretty short area. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, be able to ride your bike there and just make sure uh, everything is in, in good standing. So your, your wife at the time that you guys were getting together, so she said, yeah, I'm interested in real estate or how did that go? So she pretty much let, lets, uh, leaves it all in my hands, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, she's interested and we talk about it, but she trusts me. And most of the homes that, you know, that I'm buying now, I'm closing on uh, my first multifamily, a duplex next week. And she doesn't care. She hasn't seen it. Like sure. she's obviously excited. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but she doesn't need to be involved. Was and, it, was it this way from the beginning? She, I think she was probably wanted to make sure it was, uh, that, that I knew what I was doing <laughs> for a while. And so it was, it was a little more conversation. And now that things have worked out and she knows, you know, my strategy, we've talked about it over the years. Now it's like, oh, I put in an offer on something today or, hey, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to close on that property next week. And she's like, great, I trust you. So what was, what was the switch then? So in the beginning, like, okay, yeah, I'm interested. And now to the point where it's like, I, I, go ahead, dude, whatever yeah. you're going to do. What, what, what happened in between that time frame to make her feel warm and fuzzy? Well, I think the switch was uh, cash flow mm-hmm. and seeing, okay, wow. See the green. Yeah, hey, th- this is working out. We're making money every month. And then looking at, you know, the end of the year, you know, what we're bringing in versus versus the expenses, uh, you know, the, the, the mortgage, the taxes, uh, sanitation and, and repairs on the property. And yet we're still coming out, you know, thousands of dollars in the green, you know, it, it, that is like a motivator right there. And, yeah. and, and for my wife, you know, we were able to, with the passive income from multiple uh, rental properties, able to have her uh, stay at home with the yeah. kids. And that, that was really one of the biggest things that kind of crystallized for us was that, hey, if we do this a couple more times, mm-hmm. that's kind of like having you working, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week at a job yeah. that you don't have to do, which is great. And so uh, she still has that option. And, and right now she works super part-time mm-hmm. at, at our church locally. Um, but the, the great thing is she doesn't have to, and she's actually just about to quit. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome to have that kind of flexibility and uh, just to know that there's like another stream of income coming in. So you, like if I lose my job or something happens, you, you never know what can happen out there. And it's really having multiple streams of income is, is definitely, uh, in my opinion, it, it, you know, it helps me go to sleep at night, right? Like Absolutely. knowing that if something happens in one area of my life, that I've got something else to fall back on, something else to rely on. That's so. great. That's great. So, uh, so fast forward. So we bought the one house and like, where are you today? So you talked about, uh, closing on a multifamily. So what, 
how many do you have? You know, tell us tell us what your portfolio looks like. So at this point, uh, after closing on the multifamily, it'll be five total properties. Wow. Um, and actually, in the property, so we have three single-family homes uh, that we that we rent out, one duplex that we'll rent out, and then the primary home that we live in, and we actually rent out the back of that one. Okay. So um, you know, we the first of the month for me is a good day, and for most people, the first of the month is like, <laughs> I gotta make that mortgage payment. Um, and so yeah, that's been such a wonderful feeling, such a wonderful thing. To, to build over the years that, you know what, the first of the month, man, I'm, I'm excited for that to come around uh, as opposed to dreading it. And yeah. so, yeah, so now we've got, we're going to have these five properties. And, um, and I will say too, I think people get scared. They hear real estate and, ah, I've got, I've got to manage tenants and it's going to be, it's going to be so difficult. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I have the temperament or the time. What about that 3 a.m. phone call with the leaky, the leaky toilet? Uh, and, and I'm not going to say that it's, you know, it's, it's a breeze. It's the easiest thing ever. Like I said, I don't love the term passive income for that reason because, you know, there, there is work involved. Yeah. But, but ultimately, it, it has not been nearly as much work as real work. Uh, right. So I, that's, that's one of the reasons that I highly recommend it. If you buy good properties with, you know, good numbers and good underlying financials in your own life, mm-hmm. this can work out really well for you and provide that sort of flexibility, breathing room, you know, options, ability to uh, to quit your job if you want, because you've got this other source of income and it gives you a little bit more time maybe than someone else would have to find something else that you're really passionate about. Uh, it's it's uh, There are a whole lot of reasons that real estate investing uh, is great for just the average person out there listening, right? That is interested, but says, I don't know, that's a little scary. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the average person listening because they're hearing this right now and maybe, maybe saying, wow, that's a great success story. Um, you know, have you always been in this great financial position? Probably not, right? You know, 2007, 2008, take us back there. Where, where was Joel right there before he started to get into real estate? Yeah, Joel was young. <laughs> <laughs> I was young. And I, I, so I bought my first house at 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd just been saving and saving uh, and living frugally. I've always been frugal. Um, and so I always you know, wanted to live within my means and save well. And so I wasn't making a whole lot of money. I work in radio and I love it. I love it, love it, love it. But it, it, it doesn't pay a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And so that was another you know, impetus was like, hey, I, I got to find other ways to make money. If I'm going to keep doing this thing I love or I got to go like, find a job in finance or corporate finance or something like that where I can actually make a little bit more money. And so it was the way for, for me to do something that I loved still, um, but but still be able to afford doing that and support my family with that. But yeah, back in 2007, 2008, I was, yeah, uh, just kind of getting started, not making a whole lot of money, living frugally, you know, uh, living in apartments with friends and trying to trying to save as much money as I could and, and live as frugally as I could and uh, keep my rent low. So living in a duplex with like three people and stuff like that. So uh, just trying to keep my expenses low so I can save. Well, that's cool. So tell us about this radio, this radio gig. It's some, some people, somebody might know if you mentioned it. Oh man, your money savvy <laughs> listeners, I bet a lot of them will know. Uh, so my boss uh, is Clark Howard who is, man, in in my estimation, one of the great money geniuses of all time. Uh, I've worked with him for 11 and a half years now, Mm -hmm. and it has been a true pleasure. Uh, People always ask, is he the same in person as he is on air? And the answer is like unquestionably yes. Uh, He is 
just a fantastic human, and he astounds me still every day. I, I, mo- I feel like a lot of the time at this point I can read his mind. I know what he's going to say, um, <laughs> but there are times where he comes out, comes up with things, or, or uh, remembers, recalls something that he's read, or uh, or recalls a scenario from 20 years back, and and he's just he's he's brilliant, really, when it comes down to it. So, man, I'm so thankful to to have gotten to to work with a man like that every day uh, because of who he is and, and because of the knowledge that he has too, and and really just I think what your passion is Andy too to, to serve the listener yeah. uh, it's it's not to, to to make money off of their backs or mm-hmm. something like that he really is passionate about teaching yeah. and helping people understand you know a topic that they currently are struggling with uh, and, and man the best success I know you know that you get from here is listener emails that that's that's the best thing when someone says you, Did you hear that me. everybody Shoot yeah. me an email let me know if, you're listening if Andy's helped you with something <laughs> send him an email and let him know because that is the greatest feeling and that's that's what we get uh, Clark has a, a a hotline that you can call more than 40 hours a week to get advice. There are volunteers. I mean, it's it's amazing the community that, that he has built around helping people with their finances. And I'm sure that influence of working with them probably helped you quite a bit in your financial journey as well. Oh my goodness, yeah. So uh, so early on, you know, when I first started working for Clark, I was super frugal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't didn't want to spend any money, um, and so you know, I had part of it down, I think. But uh, but. Uh, to that end, I, I, I didn't have a good view of money, a healthy view of money. Uh, I, I wasn't thoughtful about you know, saving and investing and um, and giving. And I, he's really helped me develop a, a bigger picture uh, for for how I view money. And it's been good for you know for my my bank account, but also for my heart, you know, um, to to think about money properly. So. Yeah, no, it's been yeah more than helpful. That's I'm cool. very fortunate. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about what what this real estate investing and your in your your frugal ways and, and your influence with working with Clark Howard has done for your family. So wh- when you guys were originally having these conversations, you and your wife, about the ability to stay at home, wh- what what did that mean to you and your wife? What, what kind of life did you want to lead together? I think we want to lead a life that is surrounded by a vibrant community of people. I think people are the most important thing for us. And so that means not working 60 hour weeks. And that means doing something that we love, even if it, if, even if it pays less, uh, because, uh, because of the joy that we derive from that. And then also, uh, hopefully some flexibility, uh, in, in, in that work situation as well. And so, yeah, my wife staying at home, um, although as anybody that's listening to your show, that is a, a stay at home mom, it's really hard. It's way more difficult than me going off to work every day. Like she's got it rough. I know that. Um, but it's fulfilling in a way that, that nothing else is too. And so it's been so good for our family, uh, to, to not be both shuffling off to work at at our nine to five gigs and our, uh, hour long commute. Um, that being really intentional about the way we live life, you know, where we live, the community we live in, has been, oh man, it's, it's paid dividends that, you know, money can't buy. Um, and so, yeah, our community is amazing. We, you know, we, we feel like, like where we live, we want to live there for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Like we've got lifelong friends and yeah, we love it. We love it. That's great. Do you think, um, the bond has uh, grown between you and your, your wife and, and the kids as well during this time? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think 
we have breakfast every morning uh, together as a family, and I get home just in time for dinner uh, for, for all of us to have dinner together pretty much every night. And those are, uh, those are pretty much non-negotiable things for us, that we have those times together. And that's, yeah, I think that has been immeasurably beneficial for our family to have those times together. And I think, you know, prioritize, you have to make it a priority because it's easy for things to creep in and say, you know what, I got to give, I got to give a little more uh, time or uh, of my effort to this thing over here. Uh, But man, not saying you can't miss a night of dinner, right? But like prioritizing it and and making one of those two. I know people work different hours at different jobs. And so, but prioritizing something where you get good family time, um, man, it's been so good for, yeah, for our marriage and then for for our girls, like to know that daddy walks through the home, uh, through the door at home every night at, at you know, 6.15, right before dinner, they're like, you know, faces glued to the, to the window looking for me. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's, that's been huge. How old are your daughters? Uh, five and almost three. Awesome. So. Well, you, you, you got to dance in the same, uh, same dance right now, my friend. Yeah, we are. We'll be back to the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for considering our sponsors today, everybody. Let's jump back into that interview. 
we're back. <laughs> Joel's been, I'm sorry, everybody. Joel's been uh, doing such a good job in the interview, but he's been holding this nice cold beer, and I just felt bad that oh, he wasn't being sip, able to drink know? it. So. <laughs> gotta take a sip. <laughs> so, Joel, uh, so family's very important to you. I understand that uh, when you were growing up, your parents were dealing with some money issues as well, and obviously that... That can, that can affect how you view money, your actions, your emotions toward money. Can you talk a little bit about that situation and, and how that's uh, affected your life? Yeah, so def- definitely. And, and that's, I think, you know, there's some there, things in childhood affect each kid differently based on what age they're at. And I was at this prime age when my parents were having some financial struggles where it just, it, it impacted me more than my sisters, more than, yeah. And they, they took things from it, but I took something... I went on a mission for the rest of my life because of, mm. uh, because of what that did. And so I'll just say, yeah, my parents, uh, did, did have, have some, had some major financial struggles, uh, when I was in, uh, when I was like 12 or 13 in middle school and they ended up declaring bankruptcy and it was just a really tough time for our family. There was, there was a lot of arguing. I know my mom wanted to stay home with us kids and just, just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was, as, as anybody knows, it's been in major financial trouble. That's a series of decisions that lead to something like that. It's not just one bad, one bad move. But yeah, I remember having, uh, you know, a car sitting in the driveway that was going to be repossessed any day and it took like a month and a half and then it happened and it was just crushing as a child to, to see that. And so I just, I knew from that point in time that I didn't want any of that stress. I didn't want to fight you know, with my wife about money. I didn't want, uh, you know, money to be a bone of contention like it is for most marriages in the United States. Like that's the number one thing people fight about is money. And I don't want that. And I don't want that for your listeners. I don't want that for anybody out there, man. And so getting your money straight is, is, and getting your financial game together, starting to, to save more of what you make and be prepared for the future gives you options, but it gives you that margin in your life mm-hmm. that you, there's this breathless feeling that you have when you're, when you're out of control with, when it comes to your finances. And man, I want, I want people to put the power back in their lives, pay down their debt and, and save more of what they make because I know what it's like growing up in a family that, that just doesn't have their financial act together and, and, and all of the problems that can come about. I will say my parents are literally two of the greatest people in the world. I want to be like them far more than I am. They are the hardest workers I know. They are amazing people and they got through it, but, uh, but it wasn't easy. And so that's, yeah, I learned a lot from that. But then again, that's too, I think I went at the beginning to this other extent where I was almost, I was almost miserly and I had a, I had an improper view towards money. Like I was saying, when I first started working for Clark and so, uh, it takes time to develop, I think as a person and your views towards money. And so I, even though I went through that, um, I still, I had improper views towards money and I probably still do. Right. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning just like everyone else out there, but, um, but there's, yeah, there's something important to going through that process of learning and, and, uh, and making steps in the right direction and, and they start to compound on themselves. It's really interesting how that works. Absolutely. Well, some great things can happen out of, you know, misfortunate accidents and things like that. But yeah. It sounds like, uh, you and your family are, are, taking those lessons and amplifying them for, for the, honestly, the, the growth of your family tree. I mean, your parents, I'm sure your parents yeah. couldn't be any prouder of what you've done. And, 
and uh, everything that you've done. So very cool. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's very personal stuff and I'm glad we have a beer so we can. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Cheers about it. So uh, let's, you know, let's, let's get into some advice time for people, right? So we've talked about your success. We've talked about your motivation. Let's, let's help fire people up about how to do this. You know, everybody is maybe listening and, you know, I'll be honest, Joel, I I heard our our conversation yesterday. We were having a drink, you know, you, you, you bought your first house in 2009. I'm like, you know, first thing in my brain is like, well, you know, that's great. He got one in 2009. That's how yeah. he got, he got it all going. Right. And you know, maybe even the bigger naysayer, I'm trying to be a devil's advocate here, but might say, Hey, he got it in 09. There's no good deals anymore, man. So what would you say to the person or say to, you know, the devil me on my shoulder, there's no good deals out there. Yeah. I'd say they're harder to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also buying a house that I'm going to close on next week. And so <laughs> I think there are good deals in every market. Uh, and I think, there are a couple things. There are a couple ways that you, if you want to become a real estate investor, that you can find the good deal. And one is to be neighborhood specific. You you have to know, you have to specialize in one, two, or three neighborhoods, and you have to be looking at the list, MLS listings every day. You have to know what's out there, what people are asking for certain properties, so so that you know when a deal pops up, right? If you're looking at something every day for six months, uh, you are doing the homework. Uh, you know what a deal is when it pops up then, and you're ready to pounce. Uh, the second thing is you, your underlying financials have to be solid. You have to have enough money saved to put uh, 20 or 25% down. You're going to get the best rates on an investment property if you put 25% down. If you're putting less, 20, that's, that's okay, I think. Anything less than 20, you need to save longer. Um, but yeah, I, you will know over time as you specialize in neighborhoods, know the neighborhoods too. Hey, what's happening? Like know, know it down to specific streets. Oh, I know that street and there's like some weird activity in that house on that street. And this one's across from that. I, I don't want that house. Uh, be willing to put some work in. If you know how to paint, that's enough, I think. I, I, you don't have to be a skilled craftsman to be a landlord. But it, yeah, if you can at least get in there, get your hands dirty, uh, do some cleaning and some painting, uh, and, and YouTube's an amazing resource for potential landlords. Yeah, I've learned how to fix a lot of things. I fixed a leaky toilet just the other day. I mean, and, and being able to get your, being able and willing to get your hands dirty. Again, I call professionals for a lot of things, but, uh, but you gotta be willing. So I think there's a deal to be had in every market uh, if you know what you're looking for, you know the market, uh, you've, you're cognizant of you know, street-level activity, and then when a deal pops up, you are ready to pounce, to make an offer. And especially in the market right now, when a deal comes up on the market, there are oftentimes, at least where I live, and, and I know this is the case you know, nationwide in a lot of markets, that there are you know, six, seven, eight offers you know, on a home within 24 hours. And so you kind of have to stand out. But the, uh, the list price... It, that, that doesn't matter all that much. You, you know, it, whether you're offering less or more than the list price, you just want to make sure that that property is, go, is a solid property that you are buying undervalued that you think is going to cash flow well and be a good rental property for years to come. And I say years to come because I'm all about buy and hold real estate. The transaction costs are too high to buy and sell homes every four or five years. You're going to want to make sure you want to be a landlord for the next 10 to 15 years, uh, if not longer. And and that's so I think that's a, a question you need to ask yourself beforehand too. Am I willing to be in this for the long haul? 
because the transaction costs can torpedo a good deal. Talk about what those transaction costs are, just so people understand that. Where, where, where would people get hit if they decide, hey, I bought this, I'm going to sell it in three years. Hey, the value went up, so that's worth it. Right, yeah. Well, there's uh, there's the realtor fees. That's the big thing. You know, It's usually 3% to each agent involved. And there are uh, there are closing costs that you have to pay, you know, attorneys, and there are lender costs that you have to pay. Uh, there are I just you know had an inspection. It was four hundred and thirty-five dollars. Uh, always get an inspection, by the way, because it, it, that four hundred thirty-five dollars more than paid for itself in the negotiations. <laughs> but it's all sorts of things like that that pop up. You need to be ready for also maintenance right after you purchase it. You know, I need to put a new roof on this house. It's still a good deal. I factored that into. Hey, is this going to work out? from me cash flow wise, but I got to put a new roof on immediately. So I also I obviously have that large sum that I got, I got to bring to the closing table. But then on top of that, man, I got to put on a $6,000 roof, you know, immediately after. So yeah, you want to, um, you want to make sure that, that your financial underlying financials are solid, that you've got the money in place to pay for uh, immediate renovations that, that need to be done to the place so that you can get, you know, good tenants in there. Um, but yeah, the transaction costs, they can be steep. Talk to us about what the when percent rule is. I hear this all the time, 1%, 2%, you know, and I've, I've done the math and things like that, but I just want to help everybody out to understand why that's an important rule of thumb. Do you use that rule of thumb? Is that something that you use to judge a good deal? That's my favorite rule. I am not a numbers geek, so I am not running spreadsheets on properties when I see them. I just know the neighborhood well enough that I know that if it's a good deal, right? And the 1% rule is a great guiding principle for me. I call it the 1% rule of thumb because it's not hard and fast. If I think something's underpriced and the cash flow is good, but it doesn't meet the 1% rule quite, I'm okay with that. Uh, but, but what the 1% rule is, is essentially, let's say you buy a $150,000 property, 1% of that purchase price, you want to be able to get that in rent every month for the property. Um, so that, that means you're going to have a good spread between you know what your mortgage is every month uh, and and the income that you're going to be generating from the tenants. So yeah, that 1% rule of thumb is such a great way to look at properties and just at least have a first identifier. Hey, that meets the 1% rule, or that's really, really close to the 1% rule. So maybe I should consider that one. Uh, I, I, I think, yeah, if something, if you're looking at a $250,000 rental property that is going to bring you $1,500 a month in rental income, that's a terrible deal. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. That's not going to provide you enough cash flow, enough reason to get out of bed in the morning to go you know, fix a leaky faucet or something like that. I, the, the scariest thing I hear from real estate investors is, hey, well, the, uh, the rents are going to cover the mortgage. Man, nothing gets me out of bed for just covering the costs, right? I need to make some money on it. And so, um, yeah, if you're going to be in it for the long haul and you want to be a, a good landlord and you want to be motivated and happy to do it, make sure that you're making money from it um, or else you're probably going to get tired of it real quick. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. So mortgages or, or cash, what, what's your thought? I, uh, I heard you say 25% down. So, so what's the pros and cons of looking at uh, leveraging versus going all cash? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think... Going all cash is a great idea if you have the cash to do it, and it will honestly help you get a house. More people are much more willing to accept a cash offer. They know there are no financing contingencies that it's not going to go back on the market and maybe sell for less eventually. So if you are a cash buyer, you have an advantage over uh, over a buyer who's financing. Um, and so yeah, on this last one, I actually sent over my financials so they knew I was good that I had a lot of cash, in, you know, in investments and stuff like that. But that I, I said you know I I just don't want to use it. I want to. I want to finance it because, in my opinion, you know, financing uh, financing a property at a really low interest rate over 30 years 
allows you then to buy more rental properties, the cash flow. And so I'm of this mind where I'm completely okay taking on debt for an investment property uh, because I can buy more and cash flow. It's like it's like a business, right? It's mm-hmm. it's essentially like taking out a debt to start a business, and sure. and I'm okay with that if you are smart about it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so yeah, I always put. 20% down on primary, 25% down on investment properties. I want the lowest rate possible. You know, I shop around with a bunch of different mortgage providers. Um, I want to get the best deal on that money, make sure that my spread is big enough, you know, to get me out of bed to go fix something. And then I think if you're if, if you're in it with a mindset like that, it's okay to take on a little bit of leverage and to take out a mortgage on the property. It, it will let you, if you want to treat it like a business, kind of accelerate that ability to buy more homes. Yeah, and then with that additional money, so let's just breaking it down in my head, you've got the one house and you've got some cash flow that's coming each month. Are you just using that cash flow to save up for the next one or paying down any of the mortgages? Are you doing 15-year versus 30? Sorry, I asked you way too many questions there. So what are you doing with the money in order to... I guess just deal with the the debt of the mortgage. Yeah, the, I guess the, the first home I purchased, I do have on a fifteen year fifteen year note, um, so I'm excited about that. Everything else I've done on a thirty year note, and it was because the the debt to income ratio that pe- that lenders look at, you know, the uh, the lower your payment and the higher your uh, your renting it for o- over and above that note, uh, the better it reflects on your ability to take on more debt, yeah. uh, and so. I know there are a lot of Dave Ramsey listeners out there that shudder at thinking that I'm, I'm taking on more debt, but uh, I, I think there are a lot of good reasons to do it. If you're building a business, which essentially is what this is, and your underlying financials, you know what you're doing. I've learned a lot along the way. I'm s- certainly no perfect landlord at all, uh, but I've learned enough to know, you know, when a property is a good buy. I'm, I'm super conservative, you know, about how frequently I'm doing it. But it is amazing how it compounds on itself too, right? So yes, the uh, back to your original question, that taking that extra money every month that's over and above uh, the the mortgage from the tenant. Uh, I, I bank it, mm-hmm. and I've been able to accelerate my buying process. So I went from a kind of every two years to uh, you know I bought one last September, and I'm going to close in August on this on this duplex. And it's uh, so I'm getting to like this one year cycle now, uh, and and who knows maybe that'll accelerate as you know my monthly income accelerates from these rental properties. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of how I've been doing it. It's just kind of banking that to buy more. So what's like the dream amount then? Like you want to have a billion houses, or do you want to have ten, or what? What's like what's the large Dream. A million. That, uh, that's <laughs> you're, you're thinking small there. And small yeah, fry. come on. Yeah. Uh, no, I would say I would say yeah, ten to twelve yeah. probably. I I think they're yeah. That's and the just other. Just hold and own and collect. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's the other thing when it comes to real estate is people think that it's this get rich quick or 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 it is um, I have to acquire 150 properties and be you know this land landlord thing is like sucking my life dry right and i think you know if you are slow and steady buying good properties uh then you you can afford to have only 10 or 12 and you live frugally <laughs> afford to have only 10 or 12 that kind of pay for you to live um and so and then as properties get paid down man it gets even better right and so like when that 15 year note goes away I'm going to have like a lot more monthly income to work with to, you know, accelerate my, my ability to get to that, you know, 10 or 12 housing level. But I think once I get there, I should have enough, you know, passive income from, from these rentals where I don't have to have a day job if I don't want to, which is cool. Fortunately, I love my day job, but, uh, but I don't have to, which that, man, that the options, 
that come to you when you don't have to do something and the joy that you can derive from your day job if you don't have to be there. Yeah. You know, that's... I'm all about that. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. I think we were having we were having another beer. <laughs> um, just like the sheer confidence that you get from being able to have other sources of income come in. You know, hold your head up a little higher. Mm-hmm. You know, feel a little bit more confident. It's just another route to... It's just another leg of the stool, right? You know, it helps you to feel more confident and carry on your day. So uh, on that note, why real estate instead of like uh, passive index investing? Why is, why is real estate better for you? Well, like I said, the reason we kind of got into it was, you know, so my wife could stay at home. And investing in my 401k and Roth IRA, I do both of those things. They are great things, and people should definitely do it. Take advantage of your 401k match. I'm sure you've told people that a million times. Don't leave that <laughs> on the table. Um, but, you know, those funds are hard to access uh, if, if you need them. You're going to pay taxes and penalties on top of that. Uh, and so it's never a good idea to take money out of your 401k, ever, uh, because, uh, until, well, until you're retired. And, you know, and, and you hit that magical age of 59 and a half. But, uh, but yeah, I would say that the, the reason is for, um, for, for real estate is because of that passive income that you can be provided every month. It's like dividends mm-hmm. coming at you if, if you invest in stocks. And, and, and rental property gives you that ability to kind of collect those dividends along the way. And hopefully the property is appreciating at the same time. So you, you're building wealth in a property as it, as it goes up in value, but you're also collecting the dividends along the way. And, and I, I, I love that. I think that's, that's brilliant because I can get to a state of financial independence you know, much more quickly with real estate. And the, and the other thing is, it, it is leverage. I mean, you can, because of leverage, you can buy more uh, you can buy a $100,000 home with $25,000. Mm-hmm. You can't buy $100,000 uh, worth of stock or investments, you know, in, in a 401k with $25,000. So it kind of affords you that ability um, because of the way we set up consumer and mortgage debt in our society, which, I mean, we could get into an existential question on that and whether it's good or not. It's probably not <laughs> a good thing. But, uh, but y- you know, if you're a, an intelligent real estate best investor, you can, you can use that system to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've talked a lot about all of the great things that are associated with real estate investing. What are your absolute least favorite things about real estate investing? Oh, man. Or yeah, that thing could, that could be a whole other podcast. It, leave it one. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, the toughest thing about real estate investing is is if you get a bad tenant. Um, that is, you know, the horror story that people are really scared of. You know, what if I get a bum tenant and they trash the place or they refuse to pay rent? What do I do? And so having a bad tenant is a huge pain. It, it stinks. And fortunately, I, I've been really. Uh, you know, I've been lucky, and I also, and I'll, I'll talk about this too, uh, screening tenants well is crucial. It's crucial. So, but yeah, having bad tenants is, is the toughest thing. Um, but yeah, so screening is, is important. I would say, you know, you need to have an application that potential tenants fill out. You need to call their three previous landlords. You need to call their place of employment. Uh, you, you need to kind of be up to speed on who they are and their best friend, whatever. I get personal references. Um, I get... Uh, previous landlords, and I get a work um, a work colleague or a boss. I, I want to call all those people. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, I use I personally use a, a service called MySmartMove.com from TransUnion, which is great. I type in their email address. Uh, TransUnion sends them an email and says, you know, fill this out. 
and I get a report back on you know their credit and criminal history, and I know whether they're uh, you know whether they have a 400 credit score and they don't pay their bills on time, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, whether they just got out of jail last week, something like that. You know, I, I'm able to tell those things ahead <laughs> of time, and so you know part of it's a, a little bit of a gut feel, but you got to do all those other things to make sure you're getting good tenants in there because uh, if it's an investment property, and that's again why I invest so close to where I live, right. This is an investment. I want this house to be beautiful, looking good. I want the best quality people that want to live in there. And, uh, and, and, and for me, it always needs to be a place that I would be willing to live in. Mm-hmm. If I'm not willing to live in the house, I'm not going to buy it. That's um, good. I'm, That's just, good. I'm just not okay with buying properties that I wouldn't live in. I, I don't feel comfortable with that. I want to I be you know, people applying to live there that really want to live there and think it's a great house. And so I think that's really important to find the best tenants and then make sure you screen them really, really well. Yeah. Okay. So what is your absolute favorite thing about doing this? Man, I, it would be easy to say the money, but it's, it's not, it's fun. I love real estate. I love architecture. I love, per, I live in a, a part of town where we've got a lot of old homes. I love the old bungalows and how solid and amazingly well built they are and original features of homes. I, I love, that's my favorite thing about where we live, walking up and down our street. I obsess and look at the homes on our street every day. And I'm, that's an amazing house that was built almost 100 years ago. It's, it's beautiful. And so that's my favorite part of it is buying properties that, um, that I think are interesting and different and beautiful. And uh, I, I think that's so cool. That's why I love real estate. That's great, man. Well, that's cool. This has been a this has been a great conversation. I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, you started off in 2009, and you started getting into this game where you started to get one, two, three. What were some of the, if you could go back to to you back back in that time when you were starting to do this, would you give yourself any sort of different advice that would help you course correct a little bit? Yeah, I would say uh, I was trying to run it. Uh, more like a friend to the tenants as opposed to uh, like a business being a good landlord. And, and I, I think creating a little bit of separation there is a, is a really good idea. And I'm still trying to create systems that, that do that. I just like people. And so when I get people in there that are cool, uh, talking to them about their favorite music or uh, just, you know, finding out what they care about or why they love the neighborhood or what brought them here, you know, I love that kind of stuff. And so it's just not in my nature to, uh, to be this, you know, super hardcore businessman. Um, so, but yeah, you can create systems and I have created systems that just allow me a little bit, you know, of removal, you know, don't give them my phone number anymore so they can just text me and Hey, this went wrong. There's something kind of invasive about a text message that an email can be responded to when you text somebody and you, you're like expecting a reply within 10 minutes, right? An email. You're like, if, if they don't get back to you in two days, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, try to kind of keep it to email and, and don't give out my phone number anymore. Uh, so st- stuff like that. I just, just have a little bit more of a business mindset going into it. You know, I know the numbers are good. I love the property, but you know, when it comes to actually, you know, finding the tenant and managing that relationship, keeping it a little, a little more business-like. That's great. So we're, we're going to drive people to poornotpoor.com to check out your, uh, your podcast and the writing that you're doing there. But was there a book that you read that was influential to you as you were getting started that said, hey, this is a good one-on-one or even a podcast or anything like that? I, I dabble in conversations with, with people like yeah. you, but I'm of no expertise in this whatsoever. You know, I'm, I'm looking at buying my first one. Is there, is there any other resource that was really influential that you can, that you can talk about today? Yeah, I really, if you're, if you're interested in investing in real estate, I think the, the bigger pockets podcast is a great one there. They interview all sorts of people that, uh, 
I, that I can take things away from. And, you know, sometimes it's people that have 150 units and that's not my aspiration, but I learned something from the conversation. And so I, I thoroughly enjoy that. Um, not a real estate investing book, but one of my, my favorite books is called Beyond Wealth by Alexander Green, I want to say. And it's just these really short essays that from a financial planner, but that are more focused on how you live life and thoughtful living. And so he kind of combines money and and what that means to your life. And so, I don't know, I, I love to think about that. Like, ultimately, when it comes down to it, what we want is, you know, those deepest desires of our heart to be fulfilled about, you know, what our life looks like, what our family looks like. We want to care for our family well. And money just plays such a huge part in that. So it's not that I think you or I are obsessed with money or want to become billionaires. It's, uh, it's that we you know, we want to see our families thrive and money is, is such a huge part of that. And so I love that book for that reason. Excellent. Well, I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where, where can people follow you, connect with you and learn more about Joel? Yeah. So, uh, they can go to poor, not poor.com. It's P O U R like you're pouring a beer. N-O-T-P-O-O-R. So poor, not poor. Um, you can go there. You can you can follow me on Twitter or on Untapped if you drink craft beer, which is an awesome craft beer app. You can follow me at not poor Joel on either one of those. Um, and yeah, in any podcasting app where you're listening to to this podcast right now, you can find us. You know, on Castbox, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, just type in "poor not poor" into the into the search box up top, and and you'll find our podcast. I love it. Hey, everybody, we're at Podcast Movement, so we are all about spreading the word, not only just about our shows here, but just about podcasts in general. It is an incredible medium where you can get extremely detailed content. Obviously, you guys are chiming into this show. You're young, you're a young family that wants to build wealth for your family, leave a great legacy. If you ha- if you want to lose weight, if you want to do anything, like there's a podcast out there for you. So this is Joel and I saying like, go check out other shows, grow it, download somebody's show, download this show on somebody else's um, phone so they understand what podcasts are, ask them what their interests are, help them to understand how to download a show. A lot of people don't know how to do that. So we're here trying to spread the movement. And Joel, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it, man. Now we can finish our beer. All right. Thanks for having me, man. (laughs) This is a blast. Cheers. Drinking beers and talking money. Oh my gosh, I could get used to this, guys. <laughs> Joel's real estate success is so inspiring to me because I love the simplicity of it. Five units now, maybe 10 units in the future. Nothing crazy, just enough to live and take care of his family. The beauty of an investment like real estate is that it's going to continue to increase in value over time. That's why I cannot wait to get into the game. We're still saving up. We have about uh, $45,000 in our online savings account with Ally. We're probably going to need to double that to safely pull the trigger in cash, with repair costs, etc., blah, 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 you know, all those things that it takes to buy real estate. Given that we're looking probably at next winter for this first rental property, that gives me a lot of time to study up. (laughs) And speaking of studying up, here are my top three takeaways from this real estate chat with Joel Larsgaard today. Number one, Lower your transaction costs by going with buy and hold real estate. I'm a big fan of simplicity and smart investing. 
That's why buy and hold rental real estate seems like it's for me. Again, I'm not the expert. I'm definitely a newbie here. But anything that lowers your time deep in paperwork, you know, the the closing process, the mortgage, the da-da-da-da-da, and decreases your overall costs from these transaction costs, I'm in, man. I'm in for that. The transaction costs can add up to real estate fees, uh, realtor fees, inspection costs, repairs, updates, making sure the house is prepared for the sale. It all adds up to big dollars. By some estimates, this can be 5 to 10% of the sales price. So they call it a $200,000 house. You're looking at... T- to $20,000 of the sales price. So for me, at least, I like the idea of buying and holding for the long term. Number two, use the 1% rule of thumb. For quick math, the 1% rule can help you understand if you're going to get a good deal on a property before you even see it. Joel told us to look at the total purchase price of the property. So let's say it's $200,000. We like this $200,000 number. To pass the 1% rule, you'll need to get a $2,000 monthly rent on this property. And then how do you know what kind of rent you can get on the property, right? Go on the interwebs. Check <laughs> check out what other comparable houses are running for in that area. You'd be amazed what you can find with some good Google searching or just checking out sites like Craigslist or Zillow or Trulia and then looking specifically in the area that you're interested in. And as you're considering the areas to invest in, think about what Joel said. He said, there's something happening there. That means like, hey, there's a little bit of movement. There's a little bit of young folks moving in and there's some restaurants popping up. For us in in Metro Detroit, there's this like mini foodie thing happening in Hazel Park, which is maybe 10, 15 miles from where we live. And there's a lot of young folks moving there. And we're thinking it might be the next hotspot locally. So we're keeping an eye on that one. But consider that, you know, what's like the up and coming area where you live, the the place that's not already overly expensive, (laughs) something that maybe has some upside to it. So consider that for number two, use the 1% rule of thumb and then look for those. There's something happening there kind of places. Number three, buy properties you'd live in and treat it like a business. Joel buys homes just blocks from his house for a few reasons. He can ride his bike there. He can keep his eye on them easily. And he just wants to buy homes that he'd live in too. By choosing homes that he'd actually like to live in and then fixing them up so they're nice and cozy, he's attracting tenants that he understands and that can hopefully give him less trouble. Another point that Joel made was treating his real estate ventures like a business not befriending the tenants or sharing his cell phone information if that's not what he wants to do. Evidently, keeping it more transactional, like a business, can help in the long run. So those were my top three takeaways. Number one, lower your transaction costs by going with buy and hold real estate. Number two, use the 1% rule of thumb. And then number three, buy properties you'd live in and treat it like a business. 
I feel like I'm getting an MBA in real estate. This is, this is awesome. I love this show. <laughs> At this point, I think we've done around, what do I mean, maybe six or eight interviews with some really successful real estate gurus. If you guys want to check out some more of the shows that I've put on with regard to real estate, I've got a link for you, marriagekidsmoney.com slash real estate. And that's a great way to listen to the other shows that we've done or other articles that I've written. And it's just going to be, this is a great way for all of us to prepare for one of the biggest investments of our lives, right? We want to make sure that we are fully educated, learning from experts that are really killing it. I know I'm learning a lot and it's making me feel a lot more confident about our path. And I hope it's helping you too. time to announce the money master of the week brian from michigan contacted me on twitter with an amazing real estate win after realizing he was spending 96 percent of his income on fixed monthly obligations you know the home the mortgage the oh, taking care of the lawn whatever all the stuff that we've got to do brian made the choice to ditch his $300,000 home with a well-manicured lawn and downsized to a $33,000 place to become mortgage-free, stress-free, and take control of his finances. This major shift in priorities now allows Brian to save around $30,000 per year in his retirement accounts. $30,000 a year. That is Awesome. And maybe Brian's just been, um, you know, paying attention to the news lately with the dismal amount of retirement savings that a lot of Americans have. And he said, hey, enough's enough. I have to make this priority. I want to retire not only with dignity, I want to retire in style. So major kudos to Brian for making this very atypical decision. He didn't want to keep up with the Joneses anymore, as he told me. He wanted to retire in style, and now he's doing it, and compound interest is treating him very, very well. If you want to learn more about Brian and follow his retirement saving growth, which he actually posts the specific numbers on his blog, check him out at bucksandcents.com. That's bucksandcents.com. Brian. Thank you so much for sharing your win and congratulations for being our money master of the week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? I would love to hear it. Everybody, please contact me. Leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsmoney.com slash voicemail or contact me on Twitter like Brian did at Andy Hill MKM or shoot me an email at Andy at marriagekidsmoney.com. I've got all sorts of routes for you to contact me, people. Just whatever you want to do. I would love to hear from you. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 101. So next week, everybody, I'm headed to Orlando for FinCon. Orlando, Orlando. You guys ever see, what was that? What was that play? Uh, Mormon, Book of Mormon. They really like Orlando. Orlando. Anyway, this is a fi- <laughs> this is a financial conference for those of us who fancy ourselves money media nerds. That's that's me because I, I do this podcast. 
And at the conference, they have these awards called the Plutus Awards. This is like the Oscars for the personal finance media folk. And your good buddy, Andy, is nominated for Best Family Finance Blog. I am blown away. Thank you so much, Plutus. And uh, keep your fingers crossed for me, my friends. We're going to be there next week. And I will fill you in on all the juicy details on next week's show, where I'll be recording from Orlando. I'm I'm not very good at that song. Orlando. I'll I'll work on it. I have the the opportunity and honor to interview someone in Orlando who is not only huge in the personal finance space, but I personally admire this individual quite a bit. I'm going to keep it a secret on who this person is until we actually record the interview next week. But this person, just so you know, is all about building family wealth. So they're going to be perfect for this show. So don't miss out. Make sure you subscribe to this show in your favorite podcast player today. If you're an Apple podcast person, just hit that purple subscribe button. If you are on any other platform, Spotify, I've got Spotify, hit the subscribe button there. And do me a favor while you're at it. Tell one friend that you know about this show, somebody that might appreciate these family-focused messages, and then subscribe them to the show on their phone. Some people don't even know how to do that. You go on their phone and just say, hey, here, I'll look it up, search Marriage, Kids, and Money, and then hit subscribe. Who knows? We may just help their marriage, their relationship with their kids, or their money. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Mark Twain. Buy land. They're not making it anymore. Best of luck with your real estate ventures, my friends. Carpe diem. 